0: The largest population that suffers from PTSD and nightmare disorder, we instantly think of veterans and Mm -hmm. first responders, but it's actually women that are victims of sexual violence. Uh. And so while our initial focus is on the military and veteran populations, because the concentration of PTSD is highest among that population, uh, we see opportunities to help people across uh, many different populations. The Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. MentorMate empowers healthcare clients to deliver on their mission and transform the human experience through technology. For over 20 years, clients have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision, design innovative products, and build secure solutions while understanding the specific nuances of their industry. MentorMate's global team in the U.S., Eastern Europe, and Latin America helps clients in all sectors of healthcare transform their organizations from Fortune 500 pharmaceutical companies and commercial payers to hospital systems, medical device manufacturers, and beyond. Learn more at MentorMate.com healthcare.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone out there in Medical Alley. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Medical Alley podcast and another and part of the uh, National Sleep Awareness Week series that we're doing, this time with our friends from Nightwear, a really fascinating technology with significant clinical impact, but operating in a way that's a, a little bit different from, I think, most of the companies that you're used to here in Medical Alley. So I'm so excited to be joined by their CEO, Grady Hanna. Grady, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you, Frank. Glad to be here. Right on. Well, maybe the place to start for our audience who's not aware of Nightwear, can you tell us what is the company? What is it that you guys are doing?
0: Thank you. And let me just say, Frank, uh, it's great to be here with Mm -hmm. you. You are a catalyst to the Minnesota Med device and medical industry. Oh, thank you. You do it in a way that is uh, so approachable, but yet always backed by kind of data and the long-term vision of Mm. where we can go. I appreciate that. Thank you. Nightwear is a non-invasive treatment for nightmare disorder. And that's something that you may not have heard of because nightmare disorder is often rolled in with the mental health diagnosis being made, PTSD, depression, anxiety disorder, and many people in the mental health industry aren't as trained in sleep, and so they aren't as in tune with breaking out something like nightmare disorder. But it's a very invasive condition where people in many cases are reliving a trauma, for instance. Oh, wow. And it's an independent risk factor for suicide. And what Nightwear is is it's a wrist-worn device, and it utilizes AI to monitor a person's sleep and detect their fight or flight response to their nightmare. Huh. And then it intervenes using vibrotactile feedback. It buzzes the device to arouse them out of the nightmare without waking them. Oh wow. So the suicide risk is what enabled Nightware to receive breakthrough status from the FDA. Mm-hmm. And we received FDA clearance in November twenty twenty. Since then, we've gotten insurance coverage through Tricare mm-hmm. to help active duty service members, and so we published interim randomized clinical trial data in the Journal of Clinical Sleep Medicine uh, recently, and got recognized by the JCSM as one of the top ten studies of the year that they hey. that they reviewed. <laughs> so that was a nice uh, a nice kudo. Uh, but it's really satisfying to be able to help someone with such a non-invasive treatment right? that can have a profound effect on their state of mind because there's the sleep deprivation, but it's more than that. People, when they describe the state of mind they're in, they don't just describe being afraid to go to sleep. They then associate it with being scared to go to their bedroom, huh. being scared to be in their bedroom, which is, we can understand... Uh, thinking about it, how uh, how, how that could happen, but yeah, uh, it's it's a very invasive because you, you know that feeling when every healthy sleeper has nightmares occasionally. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're talking about here. But even when you have a nightmare, you feel guilty about things you didn't do. Mm. You feel your emotions are engaged in your dreams and nightmares in a way that we can't really explain. Right. Now, if you're reliving a trauma, if it's something that actually happened in your life or some allegory of that thing that happened in your life, it can be a, it can be a reinforcement of your trauma. Whereas REM sleep is normally a way for you to take your short-term memory, process it into long-term memory, provide uh, emotional associations with those memories and kind of prioritize them in this very automatic way. Huh. Whereas with nightmare disorder the REM stage reinforces a trauma. Mm -hmm. It makes it so, it's quite the opposite of being able to move on from it, in fact. Uh, And so to be able to change that dynamic is uh, extremely important. And the way that nightmare disorder is currently treated Mm -hmm. is you're either providing, there is no other indicated treatment for nightmare disorder except for night where There's an off-label heart medication called prazosin, there's cognitive behavioral therapy for PTSD, but there isn't good evidence that there's cognitive behavioral therapy to really alter people's nightmares. Nightmares ah. are one of the more treatment-resistant parts of the PTSD symptomology. And so you're either changing the brain chemistry, mm-hmm. you're trying to utilize CBT or talk therapy to kind of change the content or change the reaction to their, to their nightmares. Or in, in the night in the case of nightwear, just Making it so the nightmares don't happen in the in the first place. Right so it's really right. a new paradigm huh. of sleep treatment where you're 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 intervening in someone's sleep right. as it's happening. So what's like the magnitude of
1: this? How how big of a problem is nightmare disorder in the say in the U.S. or in the world? As far as we know,
0: well, it's heavily underdiagnosed. I bet. I bet. And so, nightmare disorder, according to the CDC, occurs. In fifty to eighty percent of people with PTSD, at some wow. point during their condition, and so numbers on PTSD vary, but certainly within the military, first responder communities, people that are uh, victims of sexual trauma, there's a high incidence of severe PTSD, and that's where you'll most often find things like nightmare disorder. And a, a psychologist would characterize nightmare disorder as a remembering of events, a reoccurrence of a, of a past trauma happening in their sleep. Mm. A sleep doctor may characterize it as a parasomnia that maybe has a bi-directional effect on the PTSD, Mm. right? Where 80% of people that develop nightmare disorder within three months of a trauma go on to develop PTSD. Oh, wow. So there's a question of cause and effect, but certainly being able to remove that boulder out of people's way, being able to treat that condition, now they're waking up they're more fresh right you're only creating catecholamines like serotonin when you dream and so if all of a sudden you're able to do that uh your outlook is better because these people with nightmare disorder from traumatic nightmares they're inevitably waking up usually mm-hmm. in their first rem cycle and so their their nightmare their 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 sleep is already yeah uh, heavily fragmented they're not getting the good restful sleep they need and problematic yes and so that affects their executive function, their ability to deliberate. There's an investigator at the University of Denver, Anschutz, who's looking at can treating nightmare disorder affect cardiac conditions.
1: Right. We know sleep apnea can be related to heart failure.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And and so there are a lot of implications. Parasomnias are very poorly understood in Mm -hmm. general. Many sleep centers are really... Led by pulmonologists and they're heavily focused on apnea and very few sleep, very few mental health professionals are sleep doctors. Only 4% of people board certified in sleep are psychiatrists. Huh. The rest are in other uh, subspecialties or general practitioners. So probably a lot
1: of underdiagnosis and less than effective management for individuals who have conditions
0: it's referred to as a a problem that falls through the cracks yeah and so rough estimates we've heard 1.2 million people in the u.s annually have nightmare disorder wherever that falls out we know that it's that it's a serious problem and um the largest population that suffers from PTSD and nightmare disorder, we instantly think of veterans and first Mm -hmm. responders, but it's actually women that are victims of sexual violence. Uh. And so while our initial focus is on the military and veteran populations, because the concentration of PTSD is highest among that population, uh, we see opportunities to help people across uh, many different populations.
1: I mean, it's clear from hearing you describe it just – the tone in your voice and the amount of knowledge that's in there that you're passionate about this. How did you get involved in Nightwear and what's what's driven you on this?
0: Well, I had spent uh, 15 years in Silicon Valley. I grew up in St. Paul mm-hmm. and uh, in 20, 2014, we moved back mm-hmm. and uh, I was keeping an eye out because I had done a lot of Work with technical founders, helping them build businesses. And so, Minnesota is a uniquely inventive place. Mm-hmm. People here are problem solvers, but they may not self identify as an entrepreneur.
1: Oh, good point. Right.
0: And they're certainly not accustomed to building a product, going out and raising money. Mm-hmm. I jokingly refer to Minnesota as the land of 10,000 service companies. Yep. <laughs> And so I was keeping my eye out, scouting for people with unique inventions that I could maybe um, help along, whether or not there was necessarily a role for me. And I learned about Nightwear in the Star Tribune. Yeah. (laughs) A young man who was a senior in college at McAllister. Mm-hmm. Invented nightwear to help his father who had returned from Iraq with PTSD and nightmare Uh disorder. So he attended an event in Washington, D.C. called Hack D.C., which was focused on using mobile technology to help veterans and service members. Uh And there was someone there who was in his residency in psychiatry, Dr. Cody Rall, who pointed toward this problem of nightmare disorder. Tyler's father had nightmare disorder but couldn't get a service-connected designation from the VA, and that's required to become VA eligible. Mm. And so at first he conceived of nightwear as a way to gather his father's data so that he could get a service-connected disability. And then when he had the idea for the intervention, that's when things really took off. Oh, wow. And so he had tried it on his father, and it was working, and he was publicizing a Kickstarter, and that's when I learned about him. And so I graduated from... Uh, McAllister a hundred years ago, <laughs> and so I met him over at Dunn Brothers on on Grand and Snelling, and we struck up a, a partnership. And so I oh, became a cool. co-founder of Nightwear, and that was back in 2015. Wow!
1: So you you mentioned it's a a wearable device, and it uses a, a vibrate technology. Is this something you guys built, or is this off the shelf? Or w- what's the technology
0: involved? When Tyler Sklozachek invented Nightwear, he was utilizing an off-the-shelf technology. He actually utilized a Pebble watch. And so when we were exploring build versus buy, we chose to go with the Apple ecosystem. Mm. And so we utilize an Apple watch and an iphone and they're locked down to run only nightwear Ah. so we really we have permission from apple to really make it our own custom hardware is how you can conceive of it and so we provide nightwear as a durable medical equipment that includes the phone the watch dual usb power block and all the necessary documentation as a package and there are several reasons for that the first is that due to FDA, QA, QMS requirements, we have to be able to guarantee that the treatment is delivered the same way every time Mm -hmm. and we can verify that it's delivered. Whereas if you're in a heterogeneous kind of off-the-shelf environment, it's much more difficult to do that, utilizing somebody's own devices. But just as importantly, when you look at med device companies, much of their risk is in supply chain, Right? Uh, especially when you look at the pandemic. Right, They're tying up cash flow and finance into manufacturing, and right. it becomes a, a, a really a whole other company that has nothing to do with actually serving the patient is the supply chain issues, the cash flow issues, the much more complex QA, QMS requirement if you're building your own device. Whereas because Apple had already had two de novo right. uh, clearances – the FDA really took the Apple Watch as a verified device, and we didn't have to justify it. And so to be able to have the industrial design, the usability, the software environment, the distributed environment, the familiarity and the simplicity that people have around the Apple ecosystem, but also have our patented software on it where we still had – intellectual property. We still had our own area that we could defend. It's really the best of both worlds is how we see it. And Apple's been a fantastic partner. Oh, that that is
1: really fascinating. And if if I were going to outsource my supply chain to anyone, Apple would be the company, right? You won't have to worry about component supply
0: because they know what they're doing. Absolutely. And the Apple Watch, they've done extensive studies on their heart rate monitor. Uh on their movement sensors for accuracy and capability and their ability to manage distributed mm-hmm. uh, environments, update software, things of that nature, are all extremely intuitive. So we couldn't be happier working in the Apple ecosystem. Indeed. And
1: you guys are now, you're FDA cleared, you're on the market. What What's the reception been like?
0: Well, when I first conceived a night where I was going to go the kind of the consumer route. yeah. And uh, some folks local here, a woman named Melissa Bird, who's currently at AtriCure, she uh, relieved me of those ideas (laughs) and pointed out that going the evidence-based route, though it takes longer, though there are more hurdles to overcome, you're going to gain real credibility and and real uh, capability to sustain a business. And so that's the route that we went. And so we ran our initial randomized clinical trial Uh, arm at the minneapolis va Mm -hmm. and that's the data that we use to submit for fda clearance and then as we got out um you know we first attempted to work with the va that didn't move as quickly as we'd like Mm -hmm. and so then we focused on the department of defense uh, because they're very focused on any fda cleared product that can help a service member they want to support yeah and so In July 2021, we started to get coverage from the Department of Defense, from TRICARE, and the reception has been fantastic. Mm. Uh, We've been prescribed over 600 times now in the DOD, and the doctors that we speak with report an 80% success rate. Wow. So that's high prescribers, people that have prescribed five times or more. And our chief medical officer is the former chief of sleep medicine at Walter Reed. Mm. He's a retired colonel from the Army from 20 years in the Army. And so he has a collegial relationship with folks at Walter Reed, Fort Belvoir. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we're also trying to find the truth. We also, we we don't want nightwear on anybody that it isn't working really well for. And so we focus heavily on patient selection. So. People with a strong sympathetic response to their nightmares, that's who nightwear works best for. People who wake up in a sweat, they're shaking, they have palpitations, Mm -hmm. they have vivid memories of their nightmares. So this isn't necessarily for everyone who has nightmares, it's for the people that have acute nightmares with a strong sympathetic reaction. Oh, interesting.
1: Uh, And I got to say, that journey of going from consumer product to medical device, generating the evidence, I mean, there had been a... Kind of a trend of this of everyone in healthcare had wanted to be direct to consumer, consumer tech. And it hasn't worked, I think, as well as many would have anticipated. As you guys were building the company and making that pivot, going commercial, having to raise money, you know, what were some of the challenges that you ran into, you know, building out the business to this point? And how do you think about
0: how you guys were able to address those? Well, when you think about a pre-market product, certainly uh, fundraising is key. Yeah. And Frank introduced me to our first investor yeah. uh, through the Medical Alley Network. And uh, he's still a board member, Mike mm-hmm. Nathan. Oh, yeah. And Mike was able to bring in folks that that he had uh, invested with previously. And that really got us started. And then it's about, it's a give and take, right? So you've got to... You've got to create enough progress so that people feel like you're on the right path. And so it's really a back and forth. But there's been a fantastic local angel community. Uh, While there aren't as many sources of venture capital in the Twin Cities, there are very strong what I refer to as tide pools Ah. (laughs) of angel investors where they may not all interact necessarily, but there certainly are different investor networks
1: that's a really good way of describing it because, yeah, there are like these little pockets all over that add up to a lot, but they're not as well organized or dense as it might be in some other ecosystems yet.
0: I would say an extremely important focus for an early stage startup is recruiting oh. and getting to know people of different backgrounds and different focus. Mm-hmm. Because there may come a point down the road where you need a certain person. And if you can't find them, you can really be stalled. Oh, right. And so one particular moment I can think of, we were pretty far along in our FDA submission process. And we realized that we were thin in our QA, QMS, testing, harness, workup, Mm -hmm. things of that nature and I worked through my network and Stephen Flo who's local mm, here yeah. had somebody that he had worked with who was based in the bay area and he was able to yeah. drop in and really build that out leveraging our team's resources but knowing exactly what needed to happen in order to build that argument out and, yeah. in a way that was going to be well received and so with the de novo submission about mm-hmm. 50% of submissions are completed within the allotted six months and the 60% or 50% go over. We were cleared at exactly six months. Hey, right on. And so if we hadn't had that kind of networking attitude and that, and, and the gentleman, John Roche, wasn't able to join right when he did, that would have stalled our process potentially for weeks or longer. Because if you can't find the resource, you can't find the resource. And not everybody who has a certain skill set is necessarily in tune with working with the startup. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's not just the skill set in a vacuum. It's also someone's temperament and their emphasis and their ability to deal with ambiguity. Oh yeah.
1: Well said that, that building that network before you need it so that you can keep moving forward in a timely fashion, because right. If you get delayed on FDA clearance, that is a ton of money that's time not on market time not helping patients but that that does take extra work which I was think I always feel for people who are in entrepreneurship everything is extra work uh, but if you do that right, it is so much more productive on the other end as, as you guys have demonstrated. So then thinking about the future like well what's next for night where you guys are on market, you're helping people where do you go with it?
0: Absolutely, and I guess one more point on oh, yeah, that, that uh, issue of development: mm-hmm. you're much better off getting a small amount of a senior person's time Ugh. than you are getting someone who's junior who has more time available. Because yeah. especially when we're talking about a regular, a regulated industry, expertise is hard won. Yeah, and so finding that person who you maybe you're spending a little more than you'd like or you're getting a little less time than you'd like but it's better to have that foundation of that expert opinion to build from rather than kind of having a lot of people who know a little bit right yeah
1: it's well worth paying for experience and skill and knowledge especially in the early stages absolutely yeah
0: and so where we're at now, uh, we're in a very good position. We had a successful 2022. We've been covered now in by TRICARE for 18 months. Right on. And so we've built to nine people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a small field sales force, three salespeople that are calling on uh, military bases. Uh, we're pursuing VA coverage, mm-hmm. which will be a, a, a big yeah. uh, market We're pursuing the VA, which would be a large new patient population that Mm -hmm. we can serve. Uh, There's a million and a half active duty service members, and there are 9 million people that are currently served by the VA. So that's really a 6x increase in uh, opportunity. Mm -hmm. And these are the two areas where there's the most sophisticated modes of care for PTSD. Mm. So in many civilian populations, PTSD goes undiagnosed or misdiagnosed, or maybe only part of the problem is understood. One of the key symptoms of PTSD is disassociation and avoidance. Mm. And so it kind of plays against itself, whereas in the veteran communities, people are more in tune. General practitioners ask the questions more. It's more a part of the ethos of the organization. And so we're very excited to support uh, the VA and the uh, hopefully here in the in the coming months and the Department of Defense in helping folks uh, being able to non pharmacologically treat these conditions and that's a big part of it. Yeah. Many people with PTSD are on multiple drugs, mm-hmm. and so any point that you can help uh, with a key symptom without adding to somebody's prescriptions, uh, you know, it's a big win. Yeah, and so the doctors that we work with. Our data, our published data is interim data, mm-hmm. and so people they they're interested enough to learn more, and they're also r- really attracted to the risk profile of nightwear,
1: mm, right?
0: Because we're only using a wrist-worn device providing vibrotactile feedback. There's very little downside to trying nightwear, right. and so just in psychiatry uh, and sleep medicine, you know, these people many of them are in situations where they're in dread of mm-hmm. their nightmares and they've kind of tried everything else. And so they're willing to give nightwear trying. We have had those extreme cases where there was a case at a, a facility in Texas that was treating active duty service members is an inpatient mm. uh, facility where people would go in for a month at a time. And there was somebody who would, scream at the top of their lungs because of their nightmares Mm. and they would wake other people on their floor certainly their roommate and we were able to treat that person successfully wow and so that was an acute case and sometimes the acute cases it's very difficult to have anything work Mm -hmm. so the fact that that worked that really gave us more credibility gave us some room to uh have more dialogue with the with the doctors there uh, to, to build rapport well, that,
1: that is fantastic, and I think that's a, a great place to wrap it up and say thank you for spending a little bit of time with us, but more importantly, thank you for doing good work that has a real impact on people. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I think gets all of us excited and driven to be part of this community. So, Grady, thanks for spending some time and being a part of the Medical Alley community.
0: Thank you. Yeah, this is a uh, it's, it's extremely satisfying to be able to help someone with this condition, and our goal is to become the world leaders in understanding and treating nightmare disorder, and, and we feel like we're on our way, and certainly being in the culture of Minnesota, very helpful people. And so as we continue to grow our business and grow our clinical data, uh, you know, we're, we'll continue on that path, and, and certainly there's no, no better place to do it than in Minnesota. Right on. And folks...
1: That's been another episode of the Medical Alley Podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, make sure you check out medicalalleypodcast.org or you can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else that you subscribe to podcasts. And hey, would you do me one little favor? Uh, Would you share this podcast with just one person? Help spread the word a little bit. If you did that, this story and so many other important stories would reach more people and have a greater impact. If you do that, I'd really appreciate it.